Welcome to today's episode on Lights in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and I've got my co-host, Andy Dolich, with me. And today's guest in AJ Maestas, uh, founder and CEO of Navigate Research. Really excited to talk to AJ today about, one, his story on how Navigate became Navigate Research, and two, uh, what are some of the lessons he's kind of learned along the way, not only being an entrepreneur, but in the landscape of the sports industry. Um, AJ, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. For having me, Jake. Glad to be here, and Andy, glad to share the stage with you. Uh, always happy, but the spotlight is on you, AJ. So, how did you navigate your way to navigate? Oh, thank you. Um, what the audience doesn't know is that he gets twenty dollars every time he says navigate. So, thank you, Andy. <laughs> That's very good. Very good. Um, it was a, a founding a business is not easy, and I uh, wouldn't. It's not for the faint of heart. I wouldn't recommend it unless you truly are uh, passionate and committed to the subject. And, and it is an area of some skill. You know, there's that uh, business adage that says, you know, uh, find something you can be the best in the world at and uh, uh, stick to that. So um, anyway, uh, it was a marriage of an avocation and a vocation. So I had a skill set that was uh, always differentiating me at work by being, you know, on the analytic side of the equation. And then, um, uh, yeah, the opportunity struck, the timing was right. It was in 2006, I felt like the window was going to close um, as far as the need for quality research and insights and what was being provided. So yeah, I got really lucky because I like this stuff. It's a passion and I love it. And it happened to also be a skill set. So I can't really say that this would have all happened if um, I was in any other segment of sports. And as you talked about stuff, um, there's, I, I was a, in the audience yesterday at the Stanford Sports Innovation Conference, which I know you've been at, and there's a lot of scary smart people talking about the current and future world, and the word analytics and metrics came up more than one time yesterday, and you were sort of there before the tidal wave had hit the shore of sports and analytics and metrics. How, in terms of your view, and you have a worldview because you have navigated around the world, um, it's become a major factor in every uh, sector of the business. How did that really happen? And you've seen it happen right before your eyes. Well, I wish that I could say we had some role in that rising tide, but I think I, I think this was happening to the whole business world, and it was just the natural and normal delayed effect in sports. We tend to lag a little bit, right? Uh, the slightly more competitive market out there in other industries. So, um, I, I, I just I, I think the uh, the return on investment that those get from making smarter decisions doing their homework, better understanding and listening to their customer. Um, just the, the yield and results are so strong that uh, it was inevitable. Uh, what's stranger to me isn't that it, uh, you know, is now a hot topic with conferences like that at Stanford and MIT and all those things. What's strange to me is that it was non-existent, you know, or, 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 or nascent 20 years ago. And that brings, that brings to the point, having been involved in the business a bit longer than 20 years, now that information 
Jake has heard this before, is stored in the cloud, right? I keep looking for which cloud that is, but somebody will explain <laughs> that to me uh, off air. But it, it started with a three by five card. It then went to computer printouts. It then, <laughs> it then went to clouds. But the information itself is that's the important point. Uh, there's storehouses of information, but you are called in to deal with real businesses. Do they see using that to really define their current business or really get aggressive about the people that aren't showing up at their places of business um, in any way, shape or form? How many years of experience, Andy? Just, just enlighten me. Just so, if I know, it's more than twenty. Uh, nineteen seventy-one, not eighteen seventy-one. Nineteen seventy-one. That's Philadelphia uh, 76ers NBA. Uh, amazing! Uh, I had to make you do that. You, you just threw an alley oop out there. Thank you. Um, the there is no short. And if I'm a young person in my career, and and, the, and my skills align with you know uh, being able to synthesize information, tons of data and put it together, you know, into a story. If I am someone who is analytically strong and I'm wondering how I go beyond just that uh, skill set into, you know, uh, an actual like, career, you know, where I am more valuable for each hour I put into something. Um, the, the, the answer is essentially connecting those dots and, and telling a story for your client. So you'll laugh at this and you should have every right to and enjoy yourself while doing it. Um, but we're, we kind of fancy ourselves as the McKinsey of sport um, because we don't see consultants out there able to both get reliable quality data, uh, something that is unbiased and, and real, and being able to turn that into a recommendation, into something actionable for a business person to win a fan or sell a ticket or close a sponsorship deal or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I would say that everybody knows about the big data thing. What is so rare and so difficult to find is someone who can um, synthesize that information and tell a compelling story with it that is, that is um, beneficial to your client. It's beneficial to your boss or your organization. Either directly or in some sort of amorphous form, are there any leaders in the industry that you look at that are using this, you know, big data, analytics, metrics, the digitizing of the world, the nanosecond attention span, who do you think is best in show? And if it's not a particular name, then what are they doing with it? Well, um, you know, uh, you know, to be honest, the, the people that are exceptional at it aren't in sports. They're they're at uh, they're there in the Bay Area with you, Andy, and they're working at a tech company, and they're getting down into passive observation of watching what people do online on apps, uh, you know, what videos, and not only are they um, refining <laughs> how to best serve that customer, but even artificial intelligence is taking it a step beyond us um, as people. But um, but you know, sports teams, I. I, I it, there, there are a number out there that are really smart. I think Maple Leaf uh, Sports Entertainment has always been smart and done great business. I think Madison Square Garden deserves credit for having a 10-plus person research and analytics team 10 years ago um, and being way ahead of the curve. 
Um, I, you mentioned the Sixers and where your career started in 1971. Right. There are some special and, and talented people um, at the Sixers. At the college level, um, something that almost every team has now, but very few universities do. There's a guy there who is doing everything from, you know, uh, on-field performance stuff to the business side, combing all over the department like an internal consultant. So they're out there. Uh, there are people who are who are doing an excellent job at clubs. Um, you know, you mentioned the before we jumped on our call, we were chatting a little bit about MLS. The, the Seattle Sounders uh, have this sort of unquenchable thirst for being better, growing, learning, and knowing more. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky to work with Michael Shockley and Adrian Hanover is the owner there. They've done something that's more impressive than anyone I can think of right now at the top of my head, which is launch an organization with excellence and then keep maintaining it and reinventing it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's easy to be the shiny new toy in a more mature MLS, but, um, but they were the original show and they, and they stay there. As you've traveled the world, um, and we tend to be somewhat insular, Jake, I think you'll agree in terms of our guests who are working at North American sports properties, but you've, mm -hmm. you've had a chance to be in a lot of different places. Um, what do you see sort of as the constants, no matter whether it's in Australia or Europe or South America or North America, to delivering a high quality product in the world of sports and what are sort of the barriers to entry? Um, for those who actually put the product on the field for the, for you're working at a team, you're saying essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or a big event, something that needs people coming through a turnstile and accessing an account to pay for it. I feel bad being contrarian, but but I really don't think we do that great of a job. And I'm not trying to insult our entire industry in one fell swoop. But, you know, the product is something that has people lining up and putting up with bad food and bad customer service and lines at every turn and traffic and transit and parking and what have you. Um, so generically speaking, of course, we do a good job. Um, but if you compare us to an airport, you know, a municipality that no one looks forward to and no one considers, you know, a, an excellent place as far as customer service. You know, they have curbside check-in and express lanes and global entry and TSA pre-check and first class lanes. And you get the gist of it. Uh, uh, you know, the entering a secure airport is, I think, put on a better effort than even entering our stadiums where people are just dying to do so. Um, but, uh, so what do I think, I think we could be a lot better at understanding our customer and understanding the real wants and needs. I think customer service could be a lot stronger. Um, I think, um, ugh, I, I, I hate to be so critical about it, but, um, but I, I, I do think we're good at chasing dollars. You know, when we see an opportunity, whether you see what's happened in the last decade with premium seats and experiences and mm -hmm. what have you. But I don't know if we have a great grasp of the pathway to fandom and what is the tribal. And this gets into this gets into like basically behavioral economics and the social sciences. This isn't just hard observational facts. What makes someone be a fan? What is that connectivity that the relationships, the community? Um, an example would be that, you know, in the U.S. where we, I think, are more advanced than the rest of the world on average in the business of sports, you don't see us have great membership groups for our clubs you know there aren't these passionate proud multi-generational members of that club and switching is a lot easier uh, the challenge to answer the other part of your question um, there's incredible competition for leisure time and uh, we are not winning that battle as an industry 
versus social media and all that technology I talked about in your backyard. Yeah, I mean, to that to that point, Jake, I'll let you jump in. But I think about, um, you know, you're in a fan zone of the EPL. And can you just imagine, you know, somebody saying, excuse me, sir, would you please sit down? You know, I'm in the middle of a conference <laughs> call here on my cell phone, and I really can't hear well. So w- would you bloke sit down so I can complete this conference call? Right, like, right. Uh, probably not. Sorry, Jake. No, AJ, in terms of, you know, where you guys see opportunities in the sports industry and as as the industry does continue to change and try and, quote unquote, catch up to the rest of the, you know, the tech world and and, other companies that are advancing. When you deal with clients and organizations and teams and um, the complexity of the data and the research that you guys have, what are some of the things that people can um, do to sharpen their skill sets or their tools uh, to better understand, you know, the information and how to actually apply it and utilize it? Um, you know, data is data, right? But if you don't understand what it what it means, or like you were saying, what story it can tell, and how to actually then turn the story into dollars, right? Like you were talking about, um, what 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 are you seeing out there? Oh, you know, that's tough. I, I hate to say this because I went and got my sports MBA at Arizona State and, and, and I, I love these sports programs and I've taught in them for a number of years, including Andy's alma mater, Ohio University. You're both of your alma mater. And Jake's. Go, go Bobcat. Alma mater, yes. <laughs> and Jake's, that's right. I mean, there's, there's so many benefits to those programs and the, the network and the relationships. Um, but I don't, uh, speaking specifically about analytics, I don't know if it's a place where you go to get a formal education in that. Um, but the hard part is there's so few, maybe why I struggled, you know, to come up with examples of those who are really advanced in these ways, you know, where you go learn on the job. And, you know, there is, I hate to even say art and science to it, because that's, uh, that would drive some people on my team nuts <laughs> to hear me say that they, everything can be put to science. Is that like a student athlete, AJ? (laughs) Yeah. I I remember a time when I was an athlete athlete. Um, That only only lasted a a semester before I was (laughs) going to be ineligible. Um, uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. um, I I think practical, real experience in working with it. And I would say look to mentorship. Andy's been an unbelievable mentor to me and is to – another member of our team uh, at Navigate, you know, go reach out to those that have that contextual experience and that history. And so if you're specifically talking about analytics and you're talking about growing your career, I'd put yourself in a, at a progressive team that wants to learn and grow. There's nothing you can do if they don't take the information and actually want to change with it. And I would find yourself an excellent boss who's interested in helping you grow and learn and exposing you to things um, that would be my investment uh, in an education. I hate to say on the job training, but um, but once you're in that inner circle, you can pick up the phone, as I have the good fortune of being able to do, and call all of these amazing thought leaders, you know, who've been there and done that. And so you learn from this little ecosystem. Um, so get your foot in the door with the right boss and the right organization. Which well, and then go, Jake. Go. And then, and then within the, you know, the organizations themselves, right, they've got their cultures in terms of how they work, right, whether it's with data or based on, you know, opinions and experience. Um, what have you noticed in terms of the, the cultures within the organizations, teams, leagues, et cetera, where 
you've got to embrace the data, right? Or don't embrace it at all. Yeah, it's kind of scary where we still are. Um, I mean, the, there are obviously exceptional people and we're fortunate to work with many of them. Um, but um, our biggest challenge in, in finding that fit with the right client on the right thing is an organization that actually really wants to know and wants honest feedback. I would say like vendors in the space of providing our type of services, I would estimate half of them are in the justification business. You know, they're in the, you know, it's just, it's just not real high quality stuff. But instead of looking at that as a negative, because I think sometimes our team gets frustrated with the stuff they see out there, um, that's an opportunity. So if you are listening to this and you actually signed up to listen to a podcast with someone from a company called Navigate Research, you probably have some passion and interest in these areas. Um, and I would say that's an opportunity for you in your career or as an entrepreneur, you know, because there's plenty of room to do it better. So I'm, again, I don't want to throw the whole industry under the bus, but um, we, we have way more opportunity to be better and do more than, than we have, um, you know, sort of competition for excellence in, in what we're talking about right here. There, there are jobs being created every day and, and, and they're justified in doing so. Yeah. One of the challenges that I see in a lot of organizational structure is the ongoing siloing of different parts of a team or an organization. And because the level of uh, specificity is increasing and you have to have knowledge, I totally embrace that to the point that people stop talking to each other because they're the ad people, they're the finance people, they're the player development people. And when you think about it, it's a team-oriented business that we're in to try to create the best athletes in the world at whatever level, to play great, um, have fun, have the fans enjoy themselves, and then hopefully win championships. As you're looking at the current wave of specialization, do you see too much siloing and not enough teamwork in the places that you're talking to? Yeah, no question. I mean, if you look at our industry, there's a bunch of groupthink and there's a lot of this is the way we've always done it. And, and there's a lot of times you look around the senior executive office and you, Andy, have made wonderful efforts with what you do with the diversity group at the National Sports Forum every year, among other things you do. But, but how many um, white men of your generation are taking the steps you are to, to get our industry to that place? Those C-suites and those ownership groups don't reflect uh, the U.S. population, and they are on the opposite end of the spectrum of the trends that will define future fans. We just released this Gen Z study. I think half of it is probably would be new information if an owner was to sit down and walk through it. I mean, as in shockingly new, not like 5% different than they expected. But, um, but that's the reality of the ultimate decision maker. Um, it is uh, disappointing that our industry is so poorly represented by diversity. When you look at the meritocracy that is the game that is played on the field, the court, the ice, the, the, the pitch, you know, that is our product. And, and, uh, and then it's, you know, uh, Title IX is basically 50 years old. And where is the representation of women in leadership? And it's, um, it, it's a problem. If I could make an argument, though, for the subject of what Navigate gets to do, 
one of the most beautiful things about our work is the diversity of it. I mean, we will be working on a team move to a new city and then suddenly you'll know, sl slip over here to another assignment. It'll be a, a television media deal. And then over here, it's a rebranding of a team. And then it'll be a naming rights deal of a new stadium that's being built. The diversity of that work builds that range of skills that's rare to get to exercise anymore in sport. Um, and I think that's true if you were on the team side as well. You don't have to be a consultant like at Navigate. If you are great at analytics, uh, the executive team, as they build trust for you, would call you in on a range of different decisions. And in your 20s and 30s, you could have exposure to people it would take 20 more years to be sitting in a meeting with um, if you are giving them critical info. you got to choose the right organization, of course. You need leaders who want to know what they don't know and want someone to round out and cover for the areas they don't know. And that doesn't always exist. But yeah, it's um, I would probably name that as uh, the number one problem in um, our industries lagging, as I'm claiming, other industries, um, not just in analytics and research and insights, just across the board in business practices. AJ, I'll, I'll piggy off of Andy's uh, thought in terms of, um, you know, the way organizations are structured, but also the way in which, you know, the generations that are coming um, are also changing in terms of how they work, um, why they want to work, their passions, their, the, you know, the way in which uh, they, they want to try and move up, you know, as fast as possible, et cetera. Some don't want bosses, right? They, the entrepreneur um, thought is probably more than it ever has been potentially. Um, so let's, let's rewind real quick back to the beginning of the episode where you founded Navigate and you kind of broke off on your own. Um, you know, where do you see that going in terms of, um, you know, the lessons that you learned, you know, founding the company and building it, but also those who are out there who maybe have 10 years of experience in the industry, but then they go and break off and do something on their own. Um, where, where do you see those trends going? Well, I can, I'm not the world's greatest expert on Gen Z, but I can tell you from this research that we just did, and <laughs> I could connect you with the ladies on our team that, that led this work. Um, the next generation views themselves as working for themselves more than any generation in the past, even at equivalent age and time and what have you. Um, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, the worst case scenario in my mind, people overestimate the risk in starting a business. I did myself. The worst case scenario is an accelerated learning curve. And uh, you really don't make that much early in your career in sports anyway. So really, what's the downside? Um, and it could work out like it did for me. And it's a dream life. I love who I work with and what I get to do every day. But yeah, uh, I think entrepreneurship is part of the um, it, it, it's part of the solution. There's no there's no question. Um, I think millennials were the first big step in demanding flexibility and prioritizing different things in life. I think Gen Z will take an equivalent step further in that direction. And if you want to employ these people, you know, Gen Z is turning 23, 24, 22, depending on you know which definition you believe in. Um, right now, so they're about to be not only the core sports fan, move into that segment of being the core 18 to 34-year-old sports fan, but that key generation of employees you're recruiting and attracting and retaining. I mean, I know I learned a lot of what not to do and what to do, having worked at prior places, and I tried to make and shape our culture. I hope it doesn't sound like it's self-serving to say that we win this award every year for 101 best and brightest companies to work for in the U.S. and a bunch of other HR awards for being a friendly place to work. Um, and I don't get all the credit for that by any means, but, but there's no doubt from the beginning, we have no start time to our day, no end time, no geographic constraints on where someone works from unlimited holiday schedule. We force holidays, all the major ones and, and, and all the minor ones and shut down for a couple of weeks over the holidays. I'm just giving you a couple of examples of something we've been doing for 14 years. 
which I think is um, pretty important to attracting the kind of talent that we need and want. Um, and I don't think you're going to find that at a team or any of the traditional organizations in sports. So we see it as a, and here I am giving it away to the world, but we see it as a massive uh, investment and advantage in who we are. Because um, in our world, you're nothing other than intellectual property and the talent and people you put in front of your clients. Um, we think there's a reason we get to pick and choose who we work with. But, um, but yeah, it's not happening at the teams fast enough, is it? In fact, it's kind of the opposite. It's pretty old school. I, I wanted to mention Navigate again so I could get my total up to $40 <laughs> before nice. we sign off on the call. Uh, I get paid in Bit, Bitcoin by Navigate and if anyone's <laughs> interested. Um, anyway, you know, you, you talked about how organizations are growing and and Jake brought up the most important point, which is new audiences. And AJ, you didn't even know, but you created the Life in the Front Office, our first national promotion about five minutes ago when you, <laughs> um, you know, talked about Gen Z. We have been looking for what is the acceptable next realm after Gen Z. We've heard a number of kind of, uh, unacceptable answers, Gen Alpha, Gen Z plus one, none of that works for us in life in the front office. So we'll put you on the spot. We're looking for a licensing deal uh, that we would happy to do with Navigate or anybody else to name that generation, which exists today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we use alpha um, to describe them. But but the, the truth is, is if I were to say, what, what do you do to think about these next generations? It's, first of all, 18 year, um, which is the typical definition of a generation is silly. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm Gen X, um, but, uh, but how radically different am I than someone who's a older Gen X? Uh, that truth that, or that claim that I'm making right now, I think will be amplified with these next no. generations. <laughs> I refuse to buy Alpha. Maybe Jake will. We can argue off. off. But, Welcome uh, back, Andy. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, Alpha drove me completely off the podcast. As soon as I heard Alpha, it's like, but that's yours. That's what you're using, Navigate. And that's sort of acceptable as you're talking to big brains around the world. They're buying into Alpha. Uh, uh, yes, Okay. I hate to say, and, and what it was, I think what you might have missed was that defining a generation in 18 year spans is just not going to work in the future. And these things are no. arbitrary selections. It's kind of like a segmentation study where there's some absolute just sort of <laughs> human choice and where you draw the lines in a segment. And so, you know what, you know what, it's, it's probably fair to call these definitions crap anyway. Yeah, the in, utero, the in utero uh, group which right now is already applying to grad school, right? Playing on, travel, <laughs> playing on traveling teams. Yesterday, one of the speakers at this conference was saying, you know, look, let's look at five or 10 years. And I, you know, I just started laughing. Five or 10 years? Are you whacked? You know, why don't we look at things in five and 10 months? Don't talk to me about five and 10 years. Get with it. Yeah, I mean the the rate of change of behavior. Not not to get nerdy, but but this is this applies to everybody. You know, no matter what you do, even if you're not in sports and entertainment, the rate of change of behavior in, in consumption um, is is a double digit percent 
per year thing as far as the stuff that really matters, like where you're spending your time. So uh, yeah, something projecting five years in the future would be a funny way to find out exactly how horrifically wrong you would be. (laughs) Well, and, and in, in terms of that, and, and, you know, you think about like you were just saying AJ about how you spend your time, you know, we're all busy, right? Everyone's, everyone's got uh, this show, that show, you know, the other, the next best thing to do. Um, when you think about how you spend your time trying to not only run your organization, but, you know, continue to get yourself better, what's, what's like the one or two things that keep you up at night? Huh. Um, you know, I, I, it, it's always people related stuff. And, um, here's the good news. I sleep well at night, <laughs> but, um, but if there was something that kept me up at night, it, it would be, it'd be people related stuff. It, it's difficult to continue investing in your people in such a quickly changing environment, especially when you have limited budgets as we all do. Um, taking it down to the personal level, you know, I'm pretty committed to personal growth and, um, it, it uh, it, it's a never ending investment knowing that much of your audience is on the young side. I, um, you know, what would keep me up at night if I was one of your listeners would be uh, really understanding and knowing myself and, and then growing myself as a person, uh, not even a skill set specifically in a job. Yeah. It's, it, I was reading a story today in a major national newspaper that has the name of a city in it, New York Times, and they were talking about the 2020 Olympics. So six months ago, right? Talk, talk about keeping somebody up at night. You think anybody was saying, oh yeah, uh, we got a global pandemic. I think we're going to have to completely do something that's never been done before with the Olympics. Now uh, let's go to work on that. People go, what are you talking about? What, what, what pandemic? What, what do you mean? And now, I mean, listening to the IOC and the Japanese leaders like, oh, you know, no, we're good. Like, no, you're not. You're not good. Um, and boy, somebody's paddling really, really fast to try to figure out because uh, it's right in front of us. You know, what are they going to do? If anybody could pull it off, it would be the Japanese. I was there for a couple of weeks in November. They are just, uh, it's like German engineering, uh, you know, combined. It's just, it's unbelievable. That- that's keeping people up at night. Maybe that's the way to, uh, we've gone, we've navigated the world with AJ Myers <laughs> in a brilliant fashion. Uh, navigate, bing, there goes another 20. Um, so Jake, you want to bring us home? Yeah, AJ, what, you know, you, you think back to, you know, your roles uh, before you founded Navigate and, and your time at the, in the Pac-12, you know, at UW and, and ASU. Um, what's the one thing you wish you would have known then that you, that you know now? Oh, boy. Um, this is going to sound cheesy, but uh, again, knowing your audience is so young, I, I wish that... Um, I wish that I'd have just been more like uh, willing and malleable to the reality of what's in front of me, just to, to, to not worry about it and uh, just to, to let it come to you, basically. Um, I don't know how much in control of the whole thing we all are. And so if you just control yourself and do your best and contribute, the rest sort of unfolds in front of you. So if I could give myself advice back then, it would be to 
not stress so much and not to worry so much. You know, just do your best in the moment, live in the moment. I know that's a little off target for a normal business conversation, but uh, the, this next generation, um, you know, they want to be the boss overnight and uh, they're dreaming of entrepreneurship and all these big things. And if there's anything, there's mostly beautiful things I see from these younger generations. But if there's anything that worries me, it's that they're, uh, you know, making plans to be famous, rich entrepreneur who conquers the world. And um, that is uh, none of those things are super well correlated with happiness. So, yeah, I would uh, know myself, learn myself better. I would have been uh, meditating and concentrating on happiness and and uh, being in the present moment. Well, we, we are a stress-free podcast, <laughs> so I will, I will say uh, I definitely appreciate that. And um, thanks, AJ, for your time. Really, really enjoyed uh, listening and, and uh, you know, hearing about your journey and, and kind of the things that you're paying attention to uh, that, quite frankly, we all should pay attention to and think about. So thank you again for your time. And Andy, always a pleasure. AJ, there, I'd have to say, Jake, and the audience, uh, I've met a lot of people, but there's nobody more agile, nimble, and dynamic in navigating the world that we live in <laughs> than Mr. AJ Maestas. So have a great one, AJ. Thank you, Andy. I'll send you, I'll Venmo you the money. Jake, you're awesome. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Um, I look forward to seeing you both again soon. <laughs>